Happy Pride! Hi, I'm Nicole Ebanks. I'm the host of Soul and Substance, the podcast. I'm also a journalist and a blogger, and I'm going to carry you through conversation where we're going to talk about those in-depth topics, those topics we're all afraid to talk about. I can guarantee you transparency, honesty, and pure realness because the perspectives come from my own, celebrities, locals, and you especially. Soul and Substance starts right now. So about a week ago, I came across a post online where a man detailed his his first pride event that he was attending. Um, he detailed the whole experience. It was pretty intriguing. He talked about who was there or what everybody was doing. And of course, for the most part, everybody was embracing their sexuality. Um, there was no shame in the crowd. Like everyone was just truly enjoying themselves um, throughout the entire celebration and event. But in this post, there was a part in it that was very intriguing to me. It was towards the end of the post, and I'll read part of it. Um, It goes, apart from all the joy, laughter, and celebration, the thing I remember most about the weekend was the end. After the festival, I walked to the metro and called the elevator. In the elevator, I took off my beads, rainbow stickers, and other rainbow paraphernalia and left it there. I may have kept one rainbow wristband I could hide in my pocket. That was a hard moment of shame and inauthenticity, going to a pride festival and then immediately going straight into a closet. After reading those words that day, I immediately thought about how we can finally get to the place where we own who we are internally, but are still afraid to own up to it publicly. So today on the show, I have the honor and pleasure of having Justin Mesington on the show to share his story. Happy Pride, Justin. Happy Pride. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, again, thank you for sharing such an authentic post. I mean, um, we'll get into more of your story today, but um, how are you? Like, how are you celebrating Pride? you know, as we're in the Pride Month, like, what are you basically doing now to celebrate such a wonderful and, you know, celebratory month? Um, balancing rest and celebration. <laughs> um, the last week was the parade and the Pride Festival and concert downtown. Um, so I was taking part in all of that. Mm-hmm. I was actually marching in the parade with oh, nice. a religious group called uh, Seventh-day Adventist Kinship International. Okay. Um, they are a nonprofit organization for current and former Seventh-day Adventists, um, specifically working with LGBTQ plus people, uh, our families and churches who are learning to show love to uh, this other community that is typically excluded. So we got to march in the parade, hand out lots of candy, um, 
say ha- it was on Saturday, so we said Happy Sabbath to people <laughs> in the, okay. as they were watching from along. But it was a good, it was a great time. Uh, a little tiring and hot, but um, <laughs> overall, really, really a fun experience. Okay, and this was in the DC area. DC. Yeah, this is right in U Street area, U Street Dupont area of Washington DC. So, okay. Wow. Pretty fun experience. And thanks for uh, telling us, like, um, again, we'll go into this more, but it's very, um, it shows the times that we're living in where you have churches who are celebrating or showing support for the LGBTQ plus community where, you know, for years that has been the total opposite. Can you just please, before we um, go into it, I know based off of your post about, you know, talking about your first Pride event, Pride event, you were 20 years old at the time. Leading up to that, can you tell us about your upbringing um, when you, you know, owned your sexuality or realized that, you know, you were queer? You know, just talk, talk just, you know, let us into that journey, if you will. Okay. Okay. So um, I'm originally from New York City, uh, Brooklyn and Queens to be exact. And uh, grew, I grew up Seventh-day Adventist. My family, my parents, grandparents, both sides were. Um, so I grew up in our whole, in this whole educational system. Um, I've technically never been a student in a non-Adventist uh, institution. So being part of that uh, religious community has been one of the biggest factors in my life and the lives of the, my people around me. Um, so let's say I knew that I was different probably, I don't know, seven, maybe seven years old. Hmm. Um, and then as I got older and like got closer to puberty, and would hear my older brothers talk about certain girls in different ways. Um, that didn't really resonate with me. Um, by listening to their words, it's like, huh, the way that you want to get sort of close to these other people where it's, you know, you're just, just friends and whatever that means. Um, that's the way I'm looking at other, other people. I'm looking at the males around the way that they are looking at females, it seems. Okay. Um, but growing up in this conservative environment, you know that that's not good, right? You know that's not allowed. Um, and it's definitely not something you talk about. Hmm. So growing up knowing that you're different, but also knowing that you can't say that to anyone uh, is a challenge, is a challenge. And since everyone in my environment is Adventist, um, you sort of have to believe what everyone is t- saying. Um, so the idea like, this is a phase, that's what, that's what this is. Um, you know, this is a lot, this is not real. This is, this is a bad thing. And one day you'll just grow out of this or you can pray it away, right? Jesus mm. um, and that's sort of all you had, all I had to go on. Wow. Um, so going to uh, an Adventist boarding school for high school and going to 
Adventist college, um, especially like boarding school area, you couldn't really say anything and there weren't really open places for conversation. And even some of the people who are leaders there, there's a fear of, I can't tell them either, right? I can't talk to anyone about this. This is my cross to bear and I should just keep that um, to myself within myself. So I think most of that time, all of that time, I was in a closet. Um, being at a boarding school, there's much more strict rules around things. So even if I wasn't in the closet, I don't think there would be such a thing as trying to date or trying to be in that, uh, trying to figure out what that means. Um, and then I graduated younger than, than most. Um, and then came to Columbia Union College in Tacoma Park. So when I started college, I was 15 years old. Wow. Um, yeah, which was good and bad. Um, it was good because, you know, I got a head start on things. Uh, but also going to the Adventist College, there might have been a few queer students on campus, but like everyone was many years older than me. And also... I'm still in an Adventist environment, so I can still hear the jokes that people were talking about the out queer people on campus. Mm. And still in the environment where people are still preaching heavily against it and being like, you know, you're just, you're just wrong. You're just choosing to leave God and go do your own thing. Um, so that experience basically said you should just stay in the closet, right? Like you, you can't you're in a closet, but also like everyone's telling you this closet is what life is, right? No one, yeah. no one's saying there's a different way you can live or you can open that closet door and you can figure this out in community and we'll be here, right? The main thing is you don't talk about it. Uh, we assume everyone should be straight and will be straight. And life goes on. Words to the otherwise, yeah. <sighs> yeah. So living in the Seventh-day Adventist faith, as you say, for those who don't know, what exactly is that like? Like you keep touching on that it's conservative. Um, everything is very like, you know, hush, hush, you know, when it comes to um, certain. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. OK, so, yeah. So for people who don't know uh, Seventh-day Adventists, it's a Christian denomination and some of the their main core beliefs are that Jesus is coming back very soon. Um, and they um, celebrate Sabbath on Saturday, similar to the Jewish faith. Um, and they also have a health message that's almost kosher, right? So mm -hmm. what the Jews do with like not eating certain things, Adventists also follow that. Um, but since we have this different schedule, this different week, where church is on Saturday and we try to observe the Sabbath from Friday night to Saturday. What that means is you're, so, you're sort of disconnected from the rest of Christianity in a way. Many other Christians are like, yes, Easter Sunday, we go to churches on Sunday, we do certain things. Whereas Adventists are different because we're celebrating on Saturday. So what that means is a lot of Adventists don't just chance, if they leave their church, they'd probably go to no church instead of a church that worships on Sunday because that feels very different. Mm. It feels very far away. So because of that and that it's just a generally conservative type of church, 
um, we have a way of creating our own little Adventist bubbles. Mm -hmm. um, so with our Adventist universities and Adventist boarding academies, um, you can be separated from the rest of society even more so. Um, so part of the reason that's been a big influence is 98% of the people who I saw who were part of my life, friends, family, peers in school, classmates throughout all of my education, um, sort of fall under this Adventist umbrella. And wow. so what that means is you assume, okay, we're all Adventists, we all believe the same things. And when it comes to being queer, there's an assumption that we all think it's the traditional official Adventist position is unaffirming and not uh, welcoming either. So that's just sort of the assumption in my mind that everybody was. So for part of my part of my journey and even like into coming out, part of it was if I come out, I am leaving my community, right? Mm-hmm. You can't be no a part of this. No one in my community said, yeah, like it's, it seems like that's the real choice, right? You're not choosing to be queer, but you are choosing to leave. You're choosing to no longer be in this group. Um, and I think that's probably the, the harder part about that time of my life, um, mm -hmm. because you can't talk to someone about this if you think they're going to exclude you. Right, you you don't you don't want to make this a thing because now you're you're building up that wall, um, and it's not until later that I might have been able to see that you know what that wall's already there. Um, what an isolated place to be in, though. Like here it is in school, yet you know you're amongst this. You know throughout, you know at seven years old you start to realize that you were different. You start college at 15, you know what I mean? Like you're with the big dog, if you will, and you felt no solace. And even at home, you said that you grew up heavily Adventist and that was the majority of your family and friends. So where did you find any sort of place to just feel grounded or feel accepted in your own little bubble as you try to navigate who you are and discover who you are more and more throughout the years? That is a really good question. And I think that is sort of what started my official coming out journey. Okay. Um, I, after I graduated, so I turned 19. Um, I was 19 when I graduated. And my first day of official work was my 20th birthday. Um, <laughs> so it was cool. Little young Justin went to DC and signed the papers and people were like, Oh, it's your birthday. Happy birthday. Um, and then after I left work, I came back to the dorm cause I was still there at the time and realized, uh, no one, no one was there. Hmm. And you know, college is over. People are gone. Um, Facebook wasn't that big yet. So I, maybe someone said happy birthday there. Um, and then actually someone called me and I was like, somebody remembered my birthday. Um, and they actually was like, Hey, Justin, uh, it's someone's birthday this week. And we want to get him a base case. Do you want to con contribute money for his upcoming birthday this weekend? And I was like, yeah, I got that. And I think when I hung up the phone, that's when I realized, Justin, you've, you've put yourself not only in a closet, but sort of in a, in a prison, in a wall. 
you were sort of trapped, right? And you, because you couldn't talk to anybody or share this with anybody, you proactively kept distance between you and the people around you. Mm. So at that point, it was like, well, um, this is not the life that I want. I don't have homework anymore. So I have all this free time in the world. I guess I should figure out what this really means. Um, I guess I need to go out and find actual community and people who I can be myself around. Um, And not even that, just I can see what it's like to be queer and see if this actually makes sense for me. Um, cause you know, and it's like, maybe I can, I can sort of do this double life kind of situation where if the queer life isn't good enough for me, I can be like, cool. Or if it's a phase, I can like jump in, figure it out, have that realization and then be able to say goodbye. And I could go back to the other people and sort of be the Adventist that I was raised to be or something. But how did the phase idea come into play, though? Like, um, clear, clear, like I gauged, again, correct me if I'm wrong, I gauged that, you know, you understand that your attraction is for the same sex. But what made you think, like, okay, this could be a phase, so let me go try it out. What in this was a try-it-out moment? Like, what does that even look like? What does that sound like? Um, so for me, at that time, it was just like, I don't, actually know any queer people Uh I and I and if I did I only knew the caricatures of them online or the stereotypes from afar gotcha so it's like are these people just godless you know godless people doing whatever they want wherever they want um and the reason why I'd say it like that and like what makes me think this could be a phase and 98 percent of the people in my environment are telling you this to a certain belief Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and i think it's hard to be like 98 percent of people all of my family every teacher i've had in adventist schools every peer person every pastor that i've heard preach they are all believing that it's either a phase or it's a change or something like that so it's hard to be like yes they were all just lying to me Right? Mm-hmm. They were all wrong. Um, and I think that's what makes it hard. I feel like a lot of a lot of life is based on where you're coming from and what you know and what you hear. And if everyone says the same thing, it's sort of hard to go and say, you know, <laughs> it's hard to prove everybody wrong. <laughs> and in a way, you don't want to prove everybody wrong because you're like, but some of these people are good. Many of these people are good people, right? Yeah. My grandmother is a great person, right? I I love these people. These are my community, like these are people. And to put them to say they're all lying or to say they're all wrong, that's a strong, that's a large leap. Um, especially if I don't have any other community to hold on to. It's hard to be like, I'm gonna leave this community and just see what happens. Mm-hmm. So part of me was like, okay. That makes sense. That's can't really do that or don't want to do that. Let me go and try to find a new community to see what I can do. So what did you um, do? 
I, I, yeah. So for better or worse, I went to the internet because that's the easiest way to meet people. Okay. Um, for better and worse, right? Like, mm -hmm. never know who they are. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> there was an area on uh, Craigslist because I use that to like look for work too, uh, like um, Strictly Platonic. And it's like, let's see what's going on there. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> and I, you know, made made posts okay. <laughs> uh, there to be oh. like, hey, looking for friends. Uh, I'm not 21. I don't drink. Uh, let's, I don't know what we could do to hang out, but if you know like ping pong or board games or like, like what, what can you actually do um, at that time? And I think there are a lot of less than useful responses, let's say, because <laughs> uh, this is the internet back then. Um, <laughs> but I will actually say like a month or two later, there are a couple people who I met that were just like, nice, <laughs> amazing almost. Um, no, way, way more than amazing. And I will say there are about three, maybe six people who I met that year back in 2006 who are still friends to this day. Um, and it's, it was, yeah, we're still friends to this day. Like one set of people, it was weird because I made a post in the morning, like looking for friends, like video games, whatever. And then someone responded and they were just talking about like, yeah, I love video games too. And my boyfriend's cool. He's also in tech and I did software. So I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, we hang out, we host game nights and do things. Um, we live in Virginia. You said you live in Maryland and that's cool. And you know, if you ever came to a thing, you could come. We have a futon, you could sleep over if you needed it. Mm -hmm. And part of me was like, sure. I know what's going on here. This is how they get you, right? Mm. Um, but, you know, I had the, I had the warning lights on. Um, but I think that day they were like, hey, I'm in the city. If you want to, like, get coffee or something. Uh, so I think I met them up and got, like, a, a frozen thing. And then we were talking. And they just seemed like a real person. Okay. Um, and I had to go to the mall. And they live by Pentagon City. So we went down to the mall. I was sort of starting the shop and he's like, all right, got to get back home to my boyfriend. And then like, as I was shopping, like 30 minutes later, he was like, hey, we got some Popeye's chicken <laughs> and we're eating it back at the apartment a few blocks away. Uh, if you want to join, come on over. Oh. So I was like, you know what? I'm already here in Virginia. Uh, if these people are terrible, I can figure this out today and I don't have to like, you know, postpone disappointment or postpone it. Um, and then I, so I went, uh, I went to their apartment, uh, they were watching something, but like one of the weirdest parts of that experience was I sort of walk in, uh, they're like, yeah, kitchen's over there. That's over there. And they have an entertainment center and they had every Nintendo system up to that point, just like in its own little box. <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, okay. These might actually be my people. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but just the way that they reached out to me or responded to my posts and our mm -hmm. online chat conversation and like, hey, we have food, come on over. Um, it was just like immediate friendship. 
Oh, I love that. They just offered it to me, not knowing anything about me. And I'm like, I don't know anything about them, but they, they offered that. Um, and then in the years since, uh, it's like that, that friendship is, is probably the, the first official gay friends that I've met. Okay. Um, him and his boyfriend, they were the first official couple. And I actually got to see a gay couple in the real world, just living their lives, hosting game nights, watching show, like hosting watch parties and things. Did you um, see yourself in them? Meaning I will one day I, have my husband or partner and, you know, hosting our own game nights or, you know, being, you know, yeah. In a way, not at that moment, not at that moment, but I did eventually. I did eventually see, okay, these are just like other friends. These are people and they're cool. And because I was still 20 at the time, when some other gay people that I met over time were like, hey, we're going to the bar. And they were like, oh, the bars are too far. What if we just hung out and had a game night? And I was like, yes, <laughs> let's make this happen. Yeah. Um, so they, I, they were able to show me just queer people being queer. Um, and what that really looks like. And it was, oh, this is just like everybody else. Um, and even in the conversations that I got to have with them, I got to share some of my religious doubts and my differences and they were not religious people. And as Adventists, we didn't eat certain things and they would eat like pork and shrimp. And I'm like, what is this? Um, but like, I could see the love that they shared with me and that they showed towards me. Mm. And even just that initial first meeting day where they were like, here's friendship. I don't know you, but I'm gonna offer you this, this I'm offering you friendship for free. Um, I think that was a very touching experience. And then like, I didn't see myself in them, but since then I could see how I've tried to do that same thing for other people, just offering immediate friendship and even, you know, hosting game nights and different things here and there. Um, Cause yeah, I think they, they showed me an example of what could be possible. Cause all mm. the stories I had were stories from an Adventist that's bad Mindset. perspective. Mm -hmm. Like, so. So was, you have this new tribe of Sorry to cut you off. You have this new tribe of friends um, who are owning their sexuality, living it. When did you get to the place where you're not gonna look for friends, but a romantic interest? Like when did that start to take shape for you now? I think it was all sort of in the same time. Oh, okay. I think I had this you're laughing. Um, yeah. So like since I knew that I was basically queer, but I couldn't say it um, for most of my life, I didn't really try to date any females in high school or college between oh. that and also being younger um, because it, see, it just felt in, it felt like it would be a lie and it felt like I'd have to keep lying to someone proactively. Got you. Right. It's one thing to to not say anything to anyone. It's different to be like, I need someone to like give me cover. Uh, that seemed not a way I wanted to be. Um, 
so without having much dating experience, uh, part of me actually thought that if I were to find some, right? If I were to date, if I were to go out there and try to date people um, and it connected and I found someone who'd be like, this is my person forever, maybe that's the thing that would push me to come out, right? It would mm-hmm. be, if I lose everybody else, at least I'm with somebody who were able to have a deeper level of connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there were many times I went on dates back then or tried to. Um, and yeah, and I think there were a couple times where there was maybe the one date and they were like, wait, you're not out? And cool. I can't really date anybody who's not out because, you know, someone else had their own experience and they were like, I had to do what I needed to come out of a closet. I'm not going back in there. Um, so for me personally, there were a lot of short dates. Mm-hmm. Um, also just coming out of that Adventist bubble, there were just a lot of things that were like, Oof, can I date someone who drinks? Can I date someone who eats shrimp or bacon? Um, you still the- thought about all those things too. That's crazy. <laughs> It's part of like, it's part of just, it's part of the water that I was raised in, right? Mm-hmm. It's part of the environment. It's part of the air I breathe. So like all these different things, it's not like, oh, I'm gay. All of that's gone. It's all of that is still part of how my brain has been working. Um, so now I need to figure out ways to, <laughs> to adapt it, um, to change. And I think in my dating, in my attempts at dating, there were, you know, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of people who are like, I could tell you, I see that you're in the closet, but you're still going to church. You're still going to that. You know, you're still. Really? Justin, right? Yeah. Because again, the, the church hasn't always been helpful for mm-hmm. many people yeah. in the church community. So. How did you respond to that? Um, I was like, yeah, that's the way it is. Um, I think one of my first official boyfriends, when we first met, there was a, I guess it was a pride party, whatever year that was. And it was happening on Friday night. And he was talking to some other friends that I had. And he was like, yeah, is Justin coming to the party tonight? Like, no, it's Friday night. He's not coming out. (laughs) Um, And I feel like people accepted me because they saw me. They knew me. So they were like, okay, yeah, Justin doesn't go out Friday night's cool. Um, Some people had to have their say about what they believe or what they don't believe. Um, But for the most part, everyone's like, we all have a background. We're all part of this umbrella and already being excluded from the bigger world. We're not gonna exclude somebody else for something, right? We can can learn to be Mm -hmm. non-judgmental, which I think has been something that I learned has happened in my story. <laughs> I used to really judge people at times. Wow. Uh, not out loud, not out loud. Mm. Um, <laughs> but, but definitely on the inside, like, okay, you're gonna, I see, I see what's going on there. And I've, I've grown through that so much more. Okay. Um, but yeah, so it's been a, it was a good, I've dated people here and there. And has, so 
around 2008, you come out to college roommates. And at this point, we know that you graduated at 19. You have established this community of friends within the LGBTQ plus community. Um, You're dating, navigating dating as well. When do you get to the place where, you know, you either have a relationship or you're owning more and more each and every day, you're um, queer, when do you tell your family from this strict conservative background, where do you go ahead and tell, your mom didn't know um, that you mentioned before. um, Yeah, so I'd say, so 2008 was the year I ended up coming out to actual not actual people, to people <laughs> who've known me before I was 20. Got you. To people who knew me from an Adventist perspective. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that helped me on that was I was in Atlanta for a work trip and I went to the neighborhood over there and they had uh, a gay bookstore. And there was this book called Stranger at the Gate by Mel White. And mm-hmm. I think he's like Catholic, but he was, he was like a ghostwriter for some of those big conservatives back in the day. Um, And he was also gay and his story was there. And part of his story was, there was a line there and he was like, before he came out and he was thinking about it and trying to figure things out. And he was like, but what would my grandmother think? Mm. And when I read that line on the piece of paper, I was like, that's directly ripped from my head, right? Like that's directly up there. Um, And then he also goes through the Bible verses and all those interpretations and all the good things and all all the other stuff. But like, that was the thing that really said, oh, okay, I am not going to, am I trying to reinvent the wheel and I need everything, right? Am I going to have to be this person who decided to get married because his pastor said that that would help. Um, and 20 years later, it's like, this didn't, this is not how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, am I going to put myself through that or, or not? Mm-hmm. So I think that was one of the last things that helped me want to come out. Um, and then when I came out to my roommates, who, you know, these are the people who I'm living with, um, I think once that happened and they were able to say it's all good. Oh. Um, I think that between that and having a queer community a little bit, I think that was all I really needed. Cause it was like, my family's up in New York. I'm down here in DC. Um, I, basically had to put myself through college. So it's not like I, I relied on them for any financial resources or anything like that. Um, so after I told my roommates, I changed all my socials to, to say like, maybe Facebook said interested in men and MySpace, you could put gay. Uh, and I think those were the only things I had back then. Um, so I sort of did that first. <laughs> Okay. I had like a semi rainbow something in a picture. Oh. Um, And part of me was like, I don't want to have this hard conversation. So I'm just going to do that. And then. (laughs) So everyone come to me and ask me the questions and say what they have to say then. 
So did your brothers see these posts and they automatically start to call you? Your father starts to call you? Like, how were family members now incorporated into this coming out story? So this didn't really, it didn't really happen like that. Um, Oh, okay. we, We never really learned how to have hard conversations as a family. So they saw it but they didn't say anything. And then one day, one of my sister-in-laws had sent a message and she was like, your Facebook says interested in men. What does that mean? (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. I guess this is how we have the conversation. Um, So then we sent some messages back and forth. And in one of her messages, she did mention that, uh, yeah, your brothers know, but we, you know, no one knows. And she was like, well, what if you just found a good woman, right? Like, what if something else? Um, and I think that was probably the the first family type of conversation that we had around it. And that was probably in 2009 at some point. And I don't think there was a conversation with any family members about it until maybe, I don't know, probably three to four years later. Mm. It was just something that I guess it became a don't ask, don't tell kind of situation. And I think part of it is because they didn't know how to approach the conversation and yeah, they didn't know how to approach the conversation. Mm. And I don't think it was till the pandemic wow. that I had some level of con- deeper conversation with my dad. Um, and I was a little upset about it <laughs> um, because he was like, I can't agree with you. Like you can live how you are, you can be the things. And the only thing I can't do is I can't go to a wedding. Like if you were to get married, I couldn't go because, you know, I'm Adventist and we don't do that. But he was like, it's your life, right? So you have to live your life for you because that's the life you're, li- you're living. And even in part of that, he was like, I could be wrong about what it means to be gay or whatever, but, you know, I might be. But you, Justin, have to make choices for yourself and like live that life. And the reason I was upset is because you could have told me this 10 years earlier and who knows, (laughs) there could could have been so much more of a connection um, between us if I would have known that he had this attitude. Um, But also maybe it took him time to get there and took him time to share it with me. But it was a a better, it was definitely a better conversation. And then last year we had another one. And in that conversation, he did mention that like, yeah, there are people from Brooklyn or from Haiti from from before who were also gay and they were friends and they play dominoes and hang out. And I'm like, you didn't tell me this. (laughs) Um, Cause you know, when you grow up sometimes you think you're the only one. Yes because no one talks about it and, you know, you just think you're the only one. Um, and if I were to hear some of those stories back then, 
I don't, who knows the trajectory that it could have changed um, for me. It's but, Go ahead. But yeah, so like other than that, me and my brothers during the pandemic, we started some like Zoom calls just to connect and try to see each other as people. And I do think we had a couple times where it's like, hey, let me share my story with you all because you you know me, but you don't really know me, right? Like you don't really know my journey because I've been here and they've been mostly in New York. So in that, there was more sort of conversation and connection. And uh, and there have been a couple times <laughs> where I did bring a person I was dating up to New York for one reason or another, maybe a Thanksgiving and also maybe a graduation for one of my nieces. Um, and like family was cordial, nice, treated them with love, respect. Um, so like overall, it hasn't been bad. Um, sometimes I might wish there was a little more connection, a little more deeper conversation, but uh, yeah, gotta accept people where they are in all directions. Wow, like going back to your father too, the fact that he said, you know, he, you know, talks about friends um, and people from, you know, from Haiti, um, you know, who were gay and didn't find the need, you know, definitely didn't share this, you know, especially as you were coming out and like, it's just amazing to me how parents will hold on to ide ideals, ideations, beliefs, um, but will save information that is necessary for, you know, their children to know and to navigate and things that they probably even are going through themselves. And the fact that he said, you know, I could be wrong. It's like you're holding on to this belief because of faith, because of your religion. Do you truly understand? Do you truly, do you want to know? And the fact that you guys are having these conversations, I feel like over time your dad is shattering his own glass ceiling in terms of this, you know what I mean? And yeah. your brothers, hopefully, they will come around to it too. Um, yeah. But very bold of you to bring, you know, your boyfriend at the time to family gatherings and owning up to that, like, that's truly remarkable. But even today, like, how do you feel, pandemic, three years you know, ago, how do you feel today? Like, have things changed, progressed, any at all? Um. Friends and yes, family. I want to say, yeah, friends is so much, friends are great. Right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, being in one place for so long, I've been able to build up a community. And I think maybe my 25th birthday, right? Yeah. So whatever year that was, 2011, I actually tried to host a combined thing where I invited work friends and some queer friends and like straight friends, like straight Adventist friends, all to Dave and Buster's, I was like, okay, I can invite you all into a space where everyone is uh, has space to move away from each other if they need to. Um, and people got to show up there. And I, and I do feel like over time, I tried to connect the worlds to integrate. Um, but since then, let's say 2018 or 2019, one of my brothers in New York 
joined the program and met a friend who is also gay and who was performing in a New York Pride concert. Um, so I was visiting New York Pride with my boyfriend at the time and some other friends. And he was like, hey, I'm going to Pride to support my friend who's on the thing. You going to be there? And I was like, yeah. So then I got to like experience some Pride moment with a good friend, a boyfriend, and a brother who was there. Mm. So that was like a nice little oh, progress moment. Yeah. And then uh, last year here in DC, some friends were having a pride party and my younger brother who lives in Maryland, he was like, what are you up to this week? Are you doing stuff? I was like, yeah, you want to you wanna come out and go to the pride party? So he came and got to meet some other friends and hang out and uh, be part of, part of the community um, to connect with some of the people. Um, so that was good. And then uh, some other things that happened is maybe last year I was in New York for a family gathering. And then one of my older nieces, she was like, what's it like to be gay? And like, right? Like, what's that experience like? Um, and then she was like, did, did family like it? Like, what did, what did family say? Um, and then I might've mentioned the thing my dad said about not coming to the wedding. And she was like, well, if we got married, we are definitely gonna be there, right? Wow. Like, I don't mm -hmm. care. And, mm -hmm. and then a different niece just the other day sent me a text being like, happy pride. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, just like, it just, it's, yeah. So I feel like overall things are, in a much better place, a more affirming place. Um, what it takes to get married, I have no idea in general, just when it comes to dating and all that stuff. But I do feel like there's a little bit of fear there to be like, do I invite, if I were to be in a relationship that I could see marriage as a part of that, and I were to be getting married, do I invite family? Like that's still a thing in the back of my mind. Like I'm not sure if I want, how to do that, right? Because if I invite them and they say no, I don't know how I would process that best. Because that's a hard, yeah. you know? In theory, most people, when they get married, they're like, this is a once in a lifetime kind of experience. So, to, to, yeah, I think to invite family to a wedding and to say, yes, here's where it's gonna be and when it's gonna be and there's a space that's marked for you. And if they were to not show up, I can only, I don't, yeah. I'm like, I can't really imagine what that would feel like. Like I, I can't. I can't imagine what that would feel like. And part of me is like, I would hate to put them in that position because I don't know if I'd be able to just show up in New York again and like hang out and be like, yeah, all is well. Um, I don't know if I'd be able to get to, how long it would take to get back to that point. Um, mm. But every day, you know, <laughs> we never know. We never know where things will go. And um, part of me wants to make sure that 
I don't let that stop me from progressing in other relationships. Because I was going to ask, are you in a relationship right now where it's leading to the, that direction? Or do you self-sabotage potential relationships because marriage could be on the horizon and I know my family may not come? That is a great question. That is a great question, <laughs> which I, <laughs> I hope I'm not self-sabotaging things. Um, but also, I do feel like I'm, I'm one who overthinks. And I am in currently in a relationship right now. But most to say, to be most honest, is I don't know what it would take to get to that place of proposing, right? I don't, I don't know what it takes that, yeah. What if you're proposed <laughs> I, I don't, to? Um, oh, OK, that would be. I don't know what it takes to get to that, <laughs> to, to be able to say yes in that position either. Um, it's definitely a, a, a next level. Like even in the relationship that I am at now, um, that is a conversation. That is a conversation we haven't had yet. And when I say that, the conversation is, what are your feelings on marriage? What, what does marriage mean to you? Um, and me being able to answer that question for myself and share that with them. Like, we haven't even had that kind of conversation. Um, but it is a, I believe that one day I will want to get married, and I will. And I... If and when that day comes, I will definitely be inviting family members. And I hope and pray that they would show up. I believe, um, based off of what you've said so far, I believe your family will show. I'm not telling you that to make your head big or <laughs> sugarcoat anything. But I know initially whenever we have things that are controversial and in terms of family, like, you know, especially parents, they can be totally against something. But over time, as things are really in their face more and more, they just come around. And it, it takes something for everyone to just follow suit. Like you said that, you know, two brothers have at least been par participated in a, in a pride event in some form or fashion. You and your father are having more conversations about it. Maybe maybe it's not on a frequent basis, but they're happening. They're happening. And mm -hmm. you have you know nieces who are asking you questions, and I'm sure that over time more family are going to be continue to be open towards it, and they will be at your wedding. Um, so definitely, you know, continue to explore that. I wanted to know though. Um, within the church as a whole. And, you know, I like to say that within the LGBTQ plus community, there's so many, you are being ridiculed, ostracized for years. Um, and yes, we're in an environment now where it's a lot more accepting of it. Um, there's still a lot within your community that you don't have rights for, you know what I mean? things like that, that you're not truly being accepted in every space. So in the church atmosphere, 
what are some common misinformation that you want to address today that the church has? Okay. Um, I think maybe the number one misinformation is that the LGBTQ plus community is trying to break into the church and change it. Um, every LGBTQ plus Christian, okay, take that back. 98% of LGBTQ plus Christians were in the church to begin with, and they're just trying to stay a part of it. A church overall, locally especially, is a community. And these are people who have Adventist, you know, pastors, they're pastor's kids, they are, they've gone to the Sabbath schools and the Pathfinder, they've gone to this. And many of us are just trying to say, we're still in this community. And a lot of times the official churches have to say, nope, we need you to leave. Or we need you to be quiet about who you are. Or we need you to tell us about your bedroom experiences slash confirm with us that you're not doing anything that we may disagree with. Um, and I think that is, the churches may think they're doing the best they can, but some of that causes a lot of harm. Um, I volunteer with SDA Kinship and we have stories upon stories of just unloving attitudes and perspectives from people who call themselves Christians. Um, and it's, it's hard. It's, it can be hard. It can be hard. Um, so I think that's one big misconception is that we're trying to change the church or that we are trying to break in. Um, I think the second big misconception is that <clears throat> there is a, in quotes, homosexual lifestyle, um, as if all homosexuals do the same thing. Um, that's like saying, you know, there's a straight lifestyle, which is getting married four times, having kids by five different people, and I don't know, any other stereotype or any other thing that some straight people do. So thinking that all, all queer people are, are one monolith is a big myth that is out there. Um, and I think another one is that, okay, if you are queer, you need to be celibate. Um, because when I listen to pastors over my past, how old am I? I'm 36 now. Um, over my past 30 years, I have never heard a pastor preach celibacy outside of connecting it to someone who's queer. They have never once been like, we're going to talk about celibacy and why this is cool for some people. Straight people can be celibate. Anyone can be celibate. That's never been a message I've ever heard until someone says, I'm queer, and they're like, oh, you need to be celibate now. Um, you know? 
And I think with that, there are a number of celibate LGBTQ people. Um, and the church will sometimes say, cool, you're being celibate, good for you. But like that person's life, the church isn't an active part of it. Mm. If I look at a heterosexual couple, if I look at a married male, female couple, do they have sex? I assume so. Mm-hmm. But they also raise kids, share bills, share chores, are there for each other if someone gets sick or in the hospital. Um, they build up a life together. And when people look at the queer community, they're like, nope, none of that's real. The only thing we see is you is sexual acts. That is the only reason you're doing this. And they don't see all of that other parts. So my heart really goes out for some of these people who are following the church to the letter and being celibate. And it's like, yes, you now get to be alone for your life. Mm-hmm. Everybody else can have help, can have a partner in some way, but nope, you're you're good. Um, I think that. And then I guess the last other thing that out the big myth is that the phrase love the sinner, hate the sin mm. is a good phrase to say because part of the challenge with that is you have this word in there called hate and that it tends to be where all the emphasis goes. Um, there have been many conversations I've seen around how Christians can be more loving towards LGBTQ people and you have Many people who say they're Christians and they are, if you look at their words, if you look at the comments, those do not seem like Christian comments. And if you do, and if they do have some, look at all the comments, it's never 50% say love, 50% say hate. It tends to be much more hate. And the hate isn't just a, the hate is just so hateful sometimes. It's just like, what do you, where is this hate coming from, right? Like that's inside, that's inside this person who's saying I'm doing this in defense of God. And it's like, those are the words you're using to defend, <laughs> those are the words you're using to defend God. That's, um, that's interesting. How bad has it gotten? I tend to avoid the comments for that reason. But no, I mean, there is, there is, there's a podcast, uh, there's a, like a YouTube channel, Alicia Johnson, and um, she was an Adventist pastor and then realized she was bisexual and came out. So she decided to retire and um, she's doing a YouTube channel, sort of trying to build bridges between churches and queer communities. And one of her last videos talked about homophobia uh, by Christians. And it, she pulled up some of the comments that people left on her videos and some of them are just not loving lies. She pulled up ones that were specifically not loving because it it just shows an example. Um, and yeah, and I, I, I don't feel like promoting <laughs> some of the words because they, they hurt, okay. to, they hurt to, to see. Mm-hmm. And the hardest part is they say this on behalf of a loving God that they say, They say they believe in the Bible. So they believe that God is love, but they really need to say how much they hate certain people. 
And similarly, these have been directed to you as well. Can you say that? Um, not directly. When you're in certain rooms uh, where you're trying to build these bridges and you're having an actual dialogue where you have people who believe that Christians can affirm LGBTQ people and you have people who disagree with that. Mm -hmm. um, nothing's been directed at me because I'm not leading these meetings. I'm just there in the audience. But some of that has been directed to the LGBTQ plus people who might be talking, who might be on a panel. Some of that hate gets directed to the people who are letting them speak and not uh, who are actually letting them speak, who are trying to be there and trying to facilitate a dialogue. Um, yeah, and there's even stories of pastors who may disagree. Okay, they may, there are stories of pastors who are like, yes, I think all of this is a sin. I agree with the full church thing, but I think we can be loving to this person. And there are many stories of people calling up the conference office to get this person removed because they said that. Mm. They didn't say they disagree. They just said we should love this person. And people are like, no, that is too, you're going too far. And people have tried to like get these people removed from their jobs just for saying we should love. Not even, you know, and that's, and that's not even the queer person. So it's like, there are many people who hide behind the Bible and say, the Bible tells me I need to, <laughs> the Bible tells me I need to hate these people because I don't know, that's just the way their beliefs have led. Um, I think one interesting thing <laughs> about that, especially this month in Pride is certain companies would every year would, you know, do things for Pride Month, would have Pride wear like at Walmart or Target and I saw a meme the other day talking about what Target did, because Target was like, there are people coming to our stores who are assaulting our workers because of this pride wear. So they moved the pride wear either to the back or they removed it everywhere from some stores. And someone was like, you are a major brand corporation and your people are not safe because you're selling clothes that have a rainbow flag on it. What about the people, what about the queer people who have to live in their bodies every day? If you have, you know, you have a you have security, right? And you're like, oh, we have to do this to keep our people safe. What about those of us who are out in the street, walking to work, taking the metro, taking a bus, going to a park, going to a restaurant? And I think that, like, when I saw that, it was just like, oh, that's so true. Like, mm -hmm. they moved it to save, to keep their workers safe. And it's like, but what about those of us on the street? Like, who's keeping us safe? How are we, how are we to be? Um, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, if you call yourself a Christian and you believe that you're called to love, and you see hate directed at a certain group of people. Should you step in and try to like, at least, you know, 
shouldn't you be the one trying to protect the person who's the hate is being directed towards, even if you disagree with them? Shouldn't you be, I don't know, that person's neighbor? Um, but sometimes it's just people read so much hate into the Bible that they feel they have to, that it's well-deserved. Um, so sad. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so my thing is this, how do you support a faith? How do you stand up for a religion that does not accept you? Like, how do you, how are you able to stand in that truth, stand in your authenticity now, knowing that at the end of the day, this is a faith that still speaks evil, still, you know, speaks the hate, acts out the hate on you? I personally it's like I said earlier, 98% of the people I interacted with before I was 20 was Adventist. So I love many, many Adventists. They've been part of my story. They're the ones who taught me. They're the ones who fed me. There's the ones who showed up in different ways. So I know that just like there's not one homosexual lifestyle, um, there's not just one Adventist or Christian lifestyle. And there are many people who actually try to love, right? I know that a lot of this hate is coming from a louder people who have you know, a louder mouth, a louder microphone. Mm -hmm. um, so I try to do this thing I read in a book that says like, don't judge other people. <laughs> don't judge other people because then I'll also be judged. Um, and I try to think about how do I love people while loving myself? Mm. So there are certain places that I'm not going to step foot in because it's probably not going to be loving to me. And if somebody, you know, wants to connect to a church, there are certain churches I would never direct them to. Gotcha. Um, and I also know that in some of these churches, there are people who are super loving, who would be an ally. Actually, just last week in the Pride Parade, we, at with our kinship float, we had maybe four different allies who were marching there with us. Um, so I know that they do exist. Um, and I know that, you know, this is what a church does. If when I read the Bible and I look at some of the words of Jesus, most of those harsh words were to like the religious scholars and the leaders who were like, Hey, you can't do that. You can't do that. The Bible says our scriptures say you can't do that on the Sabbath. Our scriptures say that's not clean. You shouldn't be doing this. And Jesus was like, okay, I'm still going to do my thing because I'm Jesus and I have to love, but uh, go about your business. Um, that's my interpretation of whatever. But I do feel <laughs> like sometimes, you know, you have to give people the grace that you want to receive. 
um, and you get to be honest. Like, and I think what I do when I volunteer with SDA Kinship, that's what we are trying to do. We're trying to help the people who are still in there like I was. Uh, we're trying to give them hope because when it comes to especially conservative religions, um, the statistics show that if you're from a conservative, non-affirming religion, those suicide rates go up. Mm. So if you take a queer person who has no religious experience or community and you take one that does have a religious community that's unaffirming, the one in the religious community that's unaffirming is more likely to attempt suicide than the other one. Mm -hmm. wow. And mm -hmm. that's not something that we want. Um, actually last, was that last year? Yeah, last year there was a student who took their life from one of the Adventist colleges and you know, it's it it hurts. It hurts because sometimes it's like just leave the church, right? Leave the church, keep your life. Um, which you know, we don't say that. I don't say that to people because I know how hard it is to step away from a community that's been everything. But like, we don't. You know, how do you how do you get to these people to say your life has value? stay alive um we need we need you um yeah because i was i was at a queer christian conference in january and they sang this hezekiah walker song like i need you to survive and i think in that space was the first time i actually got what that message can mean because of the people who might take their lives. Mm. And it's like, right? We're all a part of God's body. Like, pray for me, I'll pray for you. Um, I love you, I need you to survive. And like, when suicide is a occurrence in a place and you say those words, or you sing those words, um, certain songs can take on a whole new meaning that I never experienced, that I never even put together. Um, Have you ever had suicidal thoughts regard because of your sexuality and the church and the noise was just, you know, too much for you or no? I possibly like three thoughts where it's like, if someone tells you that you're wrong and someone says that the Bible is right and someone says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, right? So like there, there were like, there are times when you can feel that it's too much. There are times where you can feel like I don't, I don't have an option. And part of that is why in my journey, I had to take that extra step out. Because it was like, this bubble is too small. And the voices in this bubble are saying, I don't belong here. 
and like what do you what do you do what do you like and when this bubble says we're not saying this as people god is saying this like you put a lot you can put a lot in in some of these communities in some of the leaders of faith in some of the pastors in some of the speakers and it's like why there are a lot of you know late nights of prayers to be like okay fix me right like let's let's take this away let me not experience this because this is not a life that I can ever have. And that's why I have to step outside of that community to be able to find hope again, to have that vision, to um, learn how to love myself. Because that isn't something that the church taught me well. Hmm. And it's, yeah, and it's, it's hard. And I, and I feel mostly like these days, I feel very much for the parents who have queer children um, because, you know, they know their child, they've seen their child grow up. So when their child comes out to them, there is this, you know, they have to love their child, most of them. And that's always not, that's not always the case. And some of these parents, they go back to their church and they're like, oh, my church doesn't, can't love my child anymore. And some parents are in this place of, do I choose my child? Do I choose my church? And I've heard many stories of people who are like, I have to choose the church. So child, get out of my house. I'm going to tough love you away. Um, and, you know, if I don't support you, you'll figure out that you're wrong and you'll come back. Um, and that is, when I hear stories like that, I just get sad. Um, Me too, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. a weird story the other, that weekend of the gay conference, the gay Christian conference that was happening in town, I was hosting a local, like, pizza party for the local SDA kinship folk and members who were visiting, um, and I made an event on Eventbrite just for those of us who aren't on Facebook. And I found a picture of a pizza with pepperoni in the shape of a heart on it, on top of a gay, like a rainbow flag. <laughs> and I posted on Eventbrite and then I shared it in our private groups um, so that people can you know, have one place to register. And during the party, there was someone, some friends came in and somebody else was with them. I thought it was a friend of theirs. And then when I went to get pizza, I was like, hey, who's your friend? And he was like, I don't know. We were in your lobby and she was just there looking for the gay pizza party. Ah. Um, so it turns out that her child came out to her, is queer, and she goes to an Adventist church in the area. And she saw this event on Eventbrite and decided to come and show up. And... <laughs> um, to me, it's like, wait, how did she find this on Eventbrite? Like that meant she had to look, she was looking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She wasn't part of our group. She didn't get an email. She didn't get a WhatsApp text. She was looking for this. And she came to my gay pizza party because she's like, my child needs community, needs an affirming place to grow. 
and I am, I love my child and I need to find that. Um, and the next day uh, we had this conversation in a church talking about inclusion and that lady wasn't there. And part of me was like, These, this parent would rather come to my gay pizza party than their churches because she's heard it all. She's heard everything the church has to say and realizes that's not enough. But maybe this gay pizza party will be what I need. And I, like when I think about that, I'm like, I'm so glad that I was able to put that on event, right? And didn't just use messages. Um, and I'm so glad she was able to experience our community in some level. And I think this is probably the most challenging part about, about this. You have parents who know that they see their child, they know their child and they hear the church and the church is like, this doesn't align. This is, this is not true. And it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. And that's why I, <laughs> I volunteer for that reason so that we can be there where the church is too afraid to go. Um, we can support people who, you know, the church has to have its policies and that's what they have to say every time they talk. But um, we get to have community. And I think community is way more important than a policy or conformity. Thank you for sharing that. And it's like, while I was hearing that story, all I thought about, again, you, your leadership, and you just really just taking the extra step to bring this out, let people know that this is an event that's going on. But you're doing a lot within the community as a whole, not within just the LGBTQ plus community, but you're bringing awareness as well as shattering this glass ceiling. As someone who grew up in the church, um, I've seen people come and go for various reasons. And one of the hush things is no one wants to acknowledge who left because they were queer or they weren't accepted because of their sexuality. And that's something that isn't often talked about and I applaud you for being brave to come today to share your story so that there's a lot more awareness and not only that, but change. Um, I don't think we emphasize enough about doing something to help you know, solve something and to get better. So I appreciate you coming on the show wholeheartedly. And before you go, I do believe um, there are many people listening to this episode who are looking for hope in their own lives, looking for at least, looking for an ally, looking for a way to come out or be a lot more open about who they are. What would you say to them, but also say to your younger self? I would say to them, There are many people in your environment, in your community, who will choose to love you as you share your truth. 
and there are many there are many people outside of that bubble that you may be in who will be there with open arms who will meet you and will shake your hand and give you immediate friendship immediate acceptance immediate affirmation so depending on where you are it may not be safe for you to do that yet but there are places where you can go and people will accept you so what i would tell myself is god loves you god has you and you can be honest you can be honest with god and you can find people to be honest with especially now you have the internet there's a lot of bad on the internet for sure but there's also a lot of good communities and find one so that you do not feel alone there are people who are there to listen there are people who will accept you there are people who won't judge you there are people who will let you talk your doubts, your fears, all of those things. Because um, yeah, we we were built for community, and there are many communities that are just that are ready for you and waiting to see yeah to see you and to see the gift that you are, right? That's very true. You okay? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm good. I am. I am well. This. This has been a enjoy enjoyable experience. Enjoyable experience. Um, some of the things I've shared here, I guess I haven't really shared super publicly in some ways, and um, this has been a good experience. And I'm. I hope that someone listening is able to learn from my story, is able to connect, whether they are an LGBTQ plus person or they're just someone who thinks we should bring more love into the world mm. and we should limit the hate that's out there. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'd say for anyone who's not LGBTQ plus, um, try to love first. And if you see somebody who might be queer, or if you are an ally or want to be an ally, you can be an ally and you can be loud about it. Because if I was, if when I was seven, if I saw somebody in my church or in my community who said LGBTQ plus people are worthy of love and belonging and I would support them and I would be their friend I might have had someone to talk to growing up. Hmm. And I think there are people out there who who need that. So and it definitely would have went a long way, I'm sure, definitely. So where can we find you? Let the people know. Um, I'm sure that you know you can you're obviously a great ally. Let us know social media, any connects websites, let them know. Uh, best place to find me. <laughs> okay, so if you're Christian or Seventh-day Adventist, best place to find me is at sdakinship.org. Um, this is a community 
a nonprofit community. It's not officially connected to the church. Um, it is not a church. It is just a community group for current and former Adventists, uh, specifically creating a safe space for LGBTQ plus people. But there are lots of family members, parents, allies, and even some pastors and other people who are learning to love and wanting to show love to the queer community. Um, membership is free and open to all. And um, so that's one place. And personally, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, I'm old enough to still use it. And <laughs> <laughs> my name is Justin Mesitin. And um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, I am. When my schedule allows, I'm always I'm able to be to connect, and yeah, I just want people to show more love out in the world and um, to be who they are because we each of us is a gift and can be a gift to someone. Absolutely, love you, Justin. Thanks for being on the show. Y'all give it up for Justin. Thank you so much. <laughs> you too. Have a good one. <laughs> we'll be right back. Justin's story, I'm glad that I came across that post because like I highlighted in the introduction, there are parts of our identity that we at some point stripped away um, or we hid it from others. And it's remarkable to hear his story and how he has navigated through that space to truly own his sexuality. And although like myself, I am not um, a part of the LGBTQ plus community. There are parts of my identity that I kind of shield from those who are close to me. And if you're hearing this, maybe you are currently in that space now. So I really do encourage you to take the baby steps, take the baby steps to truly own who you are entirely. And if you are someone who is um, closeted or not fully you know embracing your sexuality and your orientation then why is it why do you think it is holding you back what is your fears I know as a whole in society still again there is some scrutiny you know it's been 50 plus years since the first pride march back in New York City and there has been progress for the LGBTQ plus community, but there is some still some controversy. So I understand that part of it too, but besides that, why else are you not truly living in who you are? Of course, it's not easy. Um, it's definitely not. And I think, you know, hearing Justin's story 
shows us that that you know it's not always so black and white it's not cookie cutter it's not so easy um but it's definitely worth taking one step towards that and living our authentic selves with that again do it with love you know someone who isn't like you um definitely show them some grace and love and kindness you know, we hear this all the time, treat others how you want to be treated, but I don't think we truly understand what that means as a whole and how big of a thing it is that we should definitely take in consideration in how we live our lives today and going forward. So, how are you celebrating Pride Month? I love you and I mean it. Peace. Soul and Substance was produced by Nicole Ebanks. The Soul and Substance theme song was produced by Lawrence Ebanks. If you would like to ask for advice or leave comments, send an email to soulandsubstance25 at gmail.com. For blog posts, visit soulandsub.wordpress.com and follow us on Instagram at soul.n.substance. That's S-O-U-L dot N dot S-U-B-S-T-A-N-C-E. 